and let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's text from Genesis is not an easy one. Neither is the one from Matthew, for that matter. And as the world around us examines books and their worthiness in schools, it's hard not to wonder how these biblical stories aren't banned. As much as we lean on the grace and goodness of God in Scripture, the Bible is full of human stories and human messiness. The stories of people who are much like us and our own families. Each of us has stories about our families, stories about our genealogy and our heritage. Some of it might be thrilling. Connections to famous individuals, to royalty, or to specific cultures. Some of it might be less so or even painful. Connections to incest, to violence, or exclusion. Family is messy. And somewhere in each of our family trees there is greatness, and somewhere there is pain or shame. And the story we hear today is part of the story of Sarah and Abraham. It is a story that began in the chapters preceding the ones today, and the lead-up to today's story, well, is a hot mess. They've struggled. They've lied. Twice they've pretended not to be married, but to be siblings instead, and Sarah has been wooed by and maybe even slept with a pharaoh and a king. In fact, we're told that they are indeed half-siblings, sharing the same father, so I guess it's a white lie then? But the pharaoh and the king found out, and thanks in part to God's help, they extricate themselves from the situation, but in both circumstances, Abraham and Sarah were able to keep incredible wealth that was bestowed upon them. Their stories of deceit, desperation, and violence, Abraham has pimped out, has sold his wife twice. And today we hear the second part of a separate but parallel story, the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar is a slave of Abraham and Sarah, who we have heard were Abraham and Sarai before. And in chapter 16, we're told that Sarah decides that Abraham should have a child with Hagar since Sarah has been unable to bear a child. And Abraham does so. And there's no way around it. This, again, is violence. It's sexual violence. It may be a fulfillment of God's promises, but it feels wretched. And Hagar gets pregnant, which makes things quite awkward with Sarah, so she flees. And then God intervenes and tells her to go back to Sarah. Oof. And tells her that her son Ishmael will have a rough go with family, kind of like we hear in Matthew today. The Hebrew literally says, at odds with them. 
And Hagar names God Elroy, God who sees because she feels seen, and then we hear she returns. And whether being seen by God in that moment is good or bad, we don't know. But we then hear that Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. Now, in Genesis, after Hagar has given birth to Ishmael, we shift and we hear the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and one of the two times that Sarah pretends to be Abraham's sister. And then it is that we come to today's story. With God's help, Sarah has become pregnant and given birth to Isaac. And the promise that God gave them and that the strangers affirmed in the story that Molly preached on last week has been fulfilled. Now, we don't know exactly how old Ishmael is at this point, but he's probably at least late elementary school, maybe even a tween or young teen. And in this story, we hear that Sarah becomes worried about Ishmael's presence. Ishmael is indeed the firstborn and an heir to Abraham's estate, and Sarah sees them playing and laughing, maybe getting along too well, maybe acting as loving siblings or... Maybe as some scholars interpret the Hebrew that Ishmael was sexually abusing Isaac. If it's the latter, it's disturbing, but also deeply ironic, considering the violence that's already existed in their family. But I'd prefer to think that it is the former and that it was an act of jealousy that then drives Sarah to tell Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away. And Abraham hesitantly does so. He pathetically gives them some water and bread and sends them out into the desert. And he does so with God's promise that Ishmael and Hagar will be okay. He doesn't know how, but he trusts God. Now let me pause. How do you feel about this story? Is it disturbing? Did you know all of this before? Yeah. Remember it? How do you feel about being a part of the family of God when this is a part of our family history? For me, this is deeply uncomfortable. It's especially uncomfortable witnessing the author choose to give God's tacit approval of some of this. The violence is not okay. The incest is not okay. The slavery is not okay. The kicking out of Hagar and her son is not okay. Yet the story isn't over. Context, like with all books that are uncomfortable, matters. Hagar and Ishmael are indeed in the desert. They run out of food and water. Hagar is watching her beloved son die. The child she has seen grow up. He's collapsing, struggling, hurting, dying, and so she sets him under a bush in the shade and steps a ways away, powerless, angry, hurting so much, dying physically but also emotionally as she witnesses her child's suffering. And she cries out in her pain, sobbing and pleading. And God hears Hagar. And God sees Hagar. And she knows this from before. She is calling out to the God she already knows is the God who sees. 
She calls on God to help her son, whom she has named Ishmael, literally, God hears. God sees and God hears and God says, Hagar, what is troubling you? Lift up your son and hold his hand and I will make him into a great nation. And Hagar opens her eyes and she sees a well and she provides for her son. This woman, still moving through this patriarchal and brutal world, she makes her way. She provides for them. She later finds a wife for him. And he thrives. He becomes an outstanding archer. He becomes a nation. And this is a story of resilience and strength for Hagar. A story of her faithfulness amid human violence. It is a story that African-American women have long aligned with their ancestors' experience of slavery. It's a story about someone on the margins, a victim, a slave, a woman, an unwed mother. And it's also a story of God's expansive love. Ishmael and Hagar are not part of the covenant that God has made with Abraham. That falls to Isaac. Yet that does not stop God from blessing Ishmael. It does not stop God from saving him and Hagar. God sees those on the margins. God sees those who have been victims of violence. God sees our family trees, and God says, I care for you. You are my child. You are loved. Indeed, it's the message born into the world in God's Son who loved those on the margins and professed their worth, who himself took the form of a slave so that we might be free, who died for our lives, who was resurrected so that we know that God's love is stronger than anything, even death. You are loved. Whether you are like Abraham and Sarah or Hagar and Ishmael, whether you have hurt others or been hurt by others, Whatever stories you carry, your own or your ancestors, you are a child of God. God hears you and God sees you. And that's the good news. Because it means that no one is outside of God's love and God's care. No one. Or as Paul says later in his letter to the Romans, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Thanks be to God for that. Amen.